This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host, Justin Poole, and alongside me, John Duke. You can follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore tweet live for the show. Follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. The entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio and our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash CLNS fans. Make sure you download the CLNS Radio app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Radio in your app marketplace. And of course, the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash CLNS Radio. That's where you'll get high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report with Jared Weiss. And this week, we had a really cool Garden Report, a pregame Garden Report, the play-by-play voice of the Sacramento Kings. Grant joined Jared before the game. And, John, that was a nice little switch it up. I don't know if we can expect it every single game or even every single week, but it would be really cool to get that opposing team point of view from the play-by-play voice before every game I, I i thought it was really awesome yeah no i agree with you i thought it really came off well and it was a good opportunity to be able to uh you know get get a little bit little brief bit of flavor you know it's not an hour show it's you know a, a brief bit and and allows you to really kind of get your flavor of what they're what the team is doing that's coming in and i thought it was it was genius i loved it yeah, and the other thing that's kind of cool in the background is you see the game get started. Normally with a garden report, after the game is over, they're pulling up the parquet and construction crews are, are going to work. It's sort of funny to see, you know, sort of the pregame hype machine on display behind Jared while he's doing the interview. And obviously, I know, especially with the way the team has played this week, everybody is sort of looking at that trade. And I, I hate to get into the what ifs too deep, but I will say everybody is always looking at who would be a good fit on this roster, who might be available, and nobody better than the play-by-play voice of an opponent every single night to sort of give Celtics a teaser or some insight into that or let them dream what if. And especially with DeMarcus Cousins in town, that was applicable for the Sacramento game and uh, the interview with Grant. Absolutely. I mean, and and I think we've all seen, or I should say, we all saw Friday night why he – DeMarcus Cousin is the name that everyone, the first name I guess you talk about after watching a month of of the regular season, a little bit more, that's the name because he fits so many needs here. He's a tantalizing talent. The things he can do and passing and rebounding and and now adding the three-point shot makes him an unbelievable talent, an unbelievable uh, fit for any team that's trying to add that extra piece. And and I think we know of one pretty well here in Boston. Well, let's just look at what the team has struggled with and rebounding obviously being a big one. Let's also look at where their strengths are, which is Al Horford at the four. We've seen Al do that pick and roll with Amir Johnson, but just imagine if there was a skilled big man who knew how to finish at the rim and could also cover up the rebounding deficiencies all in one swing of the bat. I know the league is maybe de-emphasizing more of a just the nature of it being a guard game but there's a de-emphasis on having such a talented center and I'd still say though that this team could use that mightily you could see DeMarcus Cousins at the free throw line regularly that would give the team a second sort of guy to work in the paint and get points 
at the free throw line and in a different way than Isaiah Thomas, so it wouldn't take away from what Isaiah is doing on the floor. I'm really starting to soften on my stance, this anti-cousin stance that I've had for so long, even despite the fact we saw it on Thursday night, just all the grimacing and the frowning. He, he doesn't look like they noted it on the broadcast. He doesn't look like he's having nearly as much fun as, as Isaiah Thomas is when Isaiah's playing, but I'm softening. I think that, that cousins really could, uh, mask or fit a lot of the holes that this team has right now. It's, it'd be hard to argue otherwise, right? I mean, this is a team that, that can't rebound. Um, at this point, they're, protecting the paint okay um but but their perimeter defense is terrible uh their their defense generally is terrible their best lineup has not done really what they need to do which is defend uh and they're left to really we're all left to question when this is ever going to change and this is a team right now i'm not saying they're in crisis i mean they're uh, you know they're they're on a on a pace that's not far off from where they were where they are expected to be but where are the signs that this team can improve in the areas that they're deficient can they become better rebounders with with the current roster structure can they you know find uh, some size so that that on the switches you're not going to have a dario sarge switched up onto uh, a 6162 avery bradley that's see those things there's not much you can do with those um and so you know, you've got to look. You've got to look hard at your team and whether or not you're, in effect, going to throw away a season without having, you know, or I should say, throw away the attempts of making the next step as a team because you want to retain roster flexibility. I think those are the questions that the franchise has to be asking itself right now. Interestingly, this team, despite all the injuries and the issues with staying healthy, and we did miss Al Horford for Monday night's game. Congratulations to Al on the birth of his daughter. We did miss him Monday night, but a lot of in and out of the lineup, not a lot of consistency. We keep asking the question, how much patience, now that everybody's healthy, should we allot the team before we really see what they're capable of doing? The defense not being there like it was last year, but they are on pace as as they stand today. They are on pace to win 49 games, which is pretty much on the mark for what most people had predicted. I obviously doing my very optimistic prediction before the season Chris Forsberg doing uh doing the uh the off season preview and I think I said 54 55 wins which I still don't think is out of the stretch of imagination because you can definitely see there's so much more room to grow and we'll dive into all of the the lineups and that IT and D we have to definitely get to a discussion about why that is not Ding. <laughs> like it's really just IT now. There is no D. But let's talk about Al Horford first from the standpoint of we've heard a lot that he plays he prefers to play power forward, but as we see him in the lineup playing power forward, he's also more effective. And in that IT and D rotation, he moves over to center. Getting a player like Cousins would certainly alleviate that. He would be able to play the power forward position consistency, consistently. And I know you and I were talking before the show started, but the comments that Al made after when, when, or no, uh, after the game against Philly about being a power forward. Yeah, I think that that's the, you know, I think that's a comfort level for him. I think it, you know, at least in, in terms of the Sacramento game, his comments after that, I think his feelings were, more along the lines of by having a mirror in there next to me for long stretches, it allows me to have that energy at the end of the game and to play against DeMarcus one-on-one. And ultimately, you know, at least in, in the case of the Sacramento game, having the game-saving uh, strip uh, or block, depending upon how you want to look at it. Um, Foul. That- <laughs> just foul. Hell yeah. I don't know. That was pretty close. There were some questionable calls in that game uh, all the way around. Was not well officiated. No, and, and that's been actually pre- a pretty consistent trend this year in my mind. But th- I don't think that that is a is a great indicator right now. Of you know, I, I think it's it's while he'd like to do that, that really doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, he can want that, but he needs to do what the team needs him to do, which is 
to be the five. He's the best big man we have by far. And and that's that's the problem in my mind is that there's a gaping hole there that either he needs to have another big next to him or he needs to have another big next to him. I mean, there's really there is no <laughs> yeah, there there is there's work. such an obvious I mean, there's, answer to we're, that. We're in a bad spot, and 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 Olenek has played well, has played better uh, this week than last week, but he's not going to he, even even if he reaches his potential as a player this year and and gets healthy and can start to shoot better and do those, he's never going to provide what the team needs, and it's not coming from Amir. It's not coming from Zeller. Jarebko can, is shooting the lights out, but he's not that guy either. So you're still left with a huge hole of someone who can grab a board and really defend the post. Yeah, somebody like Cousins would really fit all of the gaping needs. The rebounding, somebody else who can draw contact in the paint and you know, end up at the free throw line. Uh, that's, that's huge. And I think that would take a lot of pressure off Isaiah because it's not like Cousins would have, would be creating those opportunities the same way as Isaiah, where, you know, you're really just duplicating the effort. This would be a different way to attack and get to the free throw line. It would give the team so much that obviously I mentioned before the pick and roll that Al could run from power forward. And you just said it, right? You said Al has to do what the team needs him to do. But here's the other thing. The team needs to put Al in the best possible position to maximize what he can contribute. And it's yes. clear that that is at power forward and not at center in the IT and D lineup. I, I think that's really, yes, he needs to do that if they need him to do it. And the team is on pace for 49 wins. And, you know, I don't think there's any cause for, you know, chicken little and, and the sky is falling, but at the same time, uh, as constituted, there are some obvious benefits to, you know, balancing the roster and putting players in the right positions. And I, I take that even to, to Marcus Smart. As much as he can play the three in the IT and D lineup, I still don't think it's the strength. I think he's better at his size and quickness and strength, you know, guarding a one or a two. That's, he, he's adequate at the three and he's a dog, but, it would be much more of an advantage for the team if he was playing a position that he's more naturally suited for. Yeah, well, and 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 we say all this right as as we go in as this show is released, uh, or I should say as we're recording this, the Celtics have the third best record in the East, and they have the third they have they own the pick with the third worst record. So they're in a good spot. Let's you know this, and they're this only is two almost, games back. So Absolutely. if we are yeah. patient and they right the ship, they might be able to stay on point. And if they do make some sort of a blockbuster trade, you have to think that they could compete for the top spot in the East. When you just look at, they are not playing defensively anywhere close to what they did last year. And yet the three-point percentage has really come around. And they're shooting, I think, a little over 36%, a huge uptick from last season. I still think, though, that as much as they over-relied on it last year and then were unsuccessful, they're successful this year, but they still over-rely on it to a point where I think they let teams back in once they start shooting the three-point so well. Because even if, I know Brad says if it creates space, take the best shot, et cetera, et cetera. But I just think you, you can't, you can't live and die by the three. And I, I think there almost comes a point where the offense gets lazy. And they might find more opportunities in close. And I know Brad said work inside out. But when they take, I, I can't remember what game it was. Maybe it was a Detroit game early on. Uh, but like, was that the 42 three point attempt yeah. game? It yeah. just, you just watch the way that that started. They jump out to a big lead. You could tell everybody's hot shooting, but really they just let teams climb right back in because I don't think the offense, I don't think taking a lot of three pointers, even if you're making them, says always something positive about how the offense is going to flow for 48. Well, I, I I'll, I'll I'll take I'll take that first and then I'll jump back to you know where we were. I mean, I think that the 30 point the three-point shot is a part of the game. I mean, that it's it's a bigger part of the game today than it was last year and certainly when we started this show, it's <laughs> it's night and day difference. The Celtics only take the fifth most three-pointers in the league. So it's not as if that they are, you know, you know, outside the trend or whatever. I, I mean, 
are they are they as good as shooters collectively as you know the 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 middle of all teams in the NBA? Probably not. But I I, I don't think that. To me, the issue is defense and rebounding, as opposed to their the shot selection. And the, I think they're they're scoring at rates that are that are unbelievable, at least in terms of where they are. I mean, they're ninth in offensive rating right now. So they're a top ten offense. If we if we told us if you told us last year that they were going to be a top ten offense, I would think okay, well we're definitely in the top five of, of teams in the league, and they still could be. The issue to me, the defensive rating of twentieth. You know, they can't stop a cold right now. They can't stop a runny nose. They can't, I mean, they can't do anything. Um, How did that happen? That's the problem. I mean, really, are we going to credit that to the losses of Sullinger and Turner? I, I, I think it probably no. has a lot to do with the second unit still struggling to come together. And I swear Kelly Olinick listened to our show last week because he was, <laughs> I don't want to say he was aggressive all week. But he was impressively aggressive in the game against Detroit. That was everything that we commented about what we wanted to see from him, he did in the Detroit game. He shot the three ball with confidence the minute he got the ball. He did the show and go, and he would get by his man and begin to attack the paint. All the things that we said we thought he needed to be doing, he definitely did throughout most of that game against Detroit. Yeah, he was, he was, he was great. And, and that's, that's the type of thing, and that's where he's gotta be. The problem, the problem the Celtics have, of course, is that what he's doing is he's helping that offensive rating. He's, he's an offensive player. He's making them a better offensive team. Isn't that great? Here's the problem. That's not where the Celtics problem is right now. Their problem is on the defensive end. They can't stop it. And, and I'm point, I'm gonna point the finger you know, we've, we've been talking a lot about the big men. You know, we've been critical of Sullinger, or excuse me, of Zeller. We've been critical of Olinick. We need to start turning the focus on the backcourt because I think the backcourt is really where the problems are, are lying this season. I'm, I'm really concerned with where that group is. That's the strength of this team, right? They're, they're the, they're the guys doing the rebounding, the guys doing the hard work. And that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that, that they are who they are. I mean, Bradley's been rebounding maniacally, I think. Um, but in terms of as a team, as as that group, and that's largely, you know, I think brought to the surface through that IT and D group. The IT and D group, one, you get, you know, Jarebko or you get Crowder in that four spot to do the rebounding, which isn't going to help you. But they are, in terms of defense right now, they're at, like, Dallas Maverick levels. Like, they're um, J. King, uh, a rating J, uh, a one-time uh, co-host on the show for a very brief period. Um had a great article today. You need to, if you haven't, I should say, <laughs> that's just so funny. I forgot about that. Yeah. That whole disagreement <laughs> between him and John. And I think we made it about 15 minutes, but, 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 but he almost, he almost was here. He almost stuck around. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he wrote, a, I think the best encapsulation of where that, that group is the IT and D group. I think the you know, lineup of death, the Wolverine group, I still like IT and D that group has done. Poo poo. <laughs> as, yeah, as the it IT and no D right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've got, you know, they're, they're been outscored by he's, he cites that they've been outscored by 6.3 points per 100 possessions. Okay. And as he says, that's, that's at the same level as, as the Mavericks. 112 points defensive rating for that group. The team overall right now, in terms of their, their, their defensive rating is 108. Again, that's 20th. So, Defensively is the issue. And to me, and, and this is what I'm noticing. Yes, there are rebounds. Yes, that's going out. But I'm seeing a lot of guys. Catavius Caldwell, I mean, Ish Smith. I mean, just looking at the, the Detroit game alone, they got off. Okay. And yeah, you can point some of that to IT who, with no D. But I think we need to start looking at Avery Bradley. We need to start looking at Marcus Smart. Um, those guys are responsible. And and some of that's pick and roll defense and okay, but I I think the the backcourt needs to take a lot of responsibility for the, the lack of defense here. Yeah, no turnovers, in. no points off turnovers like last season. That was where exactly. you saw a lot of their offense, and it's almost like they can get the offense without it 
I don't know if there's like some sort of a strategical adjustment where they're not pressing as hard, but they should get back to it. Just applying the pressure, even if they don't get the turnovers, just hounding the ball out on the perimeter, trying to prevent those entry passes. And, and obviously it's demoralizing to an opponent when you do force a turnover and go coast to coast for an easy bucket. That's, that's what you do want to see. They do have to get back to that. It almost makes it, I think, easier to look at making one of these consolidation trades. I think a lot of times we talk about, well, all of these guards are really good and we know we have a glut of them, but who do you get rid of? And it's like such a difficult discussion. But I think now when we when we watch what's happening to bolster the front court would just be such a no brainer, especially if the back court isn't doing what we saw them do last year. And again, it's still early. I think you got to get into mid December, almost January before you really know where a team is at and where they're headed. And again, we talked about it. They're on pace for a very successful season and they're still sitting quite well in the standing. So again, it's not the end of the world, but I think there are some obvious kind of needs and, and issues that are going on. And you talk about that Detroit game when we did our predictions on the last show I said three and one I pointed to Andre Drummond in that game uh, against Detroit as the one that they would likely lose I did not expect the game against Philly to be so close but I did nail it again my predictive ways are 100 percent back on track John I know you said sweep for the week but (laughs) you know what the issue is is you look at you look at Drummond I don't think there was ever a moment in that game where you said oh Andre Drummond is just owning the Celtics not the case at all but he quietly did own the game. Uh, 20 points, 17 rebounds. He did the yeoman's work of what needed to be done for guys like Ish Smith to get off, like you just said. That's really the concerning part. I know we talk about the guard play, but the, the roster is not balanced is the issue. It's not yeah. balanced. And I think exactly. one balancing move would really vault them, and I can't believe I'm saying it because I didn't really think they could be number one, but I think if they got one move that balanced the roster, I think you could see them effectively compete against the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't know if I'm – it depends upon who the move is, I think, but – but yeah. Well, what I if think... it was Cousins? Let's, I mean, hypothetically. All right. We say it's a, a trade for Sarge and it's a more minor one. No, but you go get a guy like, like Cousins with those sweet hands inside the paint. I, I think maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, you're right. I would have to, honestly, the defense has been so bad by the backcourt that I, I question whether, I mean, that, that was the game changer for this team, right? That was, that was what made them special is that the backcourt was just bulldog, right? You, you couldn't do anything. Now, you know, you could throw cousins into this mix and they'll be okay, but, do you, I mean, I don't feel like that they're a special team right now. Yeah, they're but not that backcourt is undersized, and I think teams have figured out how to move the ball around and get the mismatch, just like you said against in the Philly game. And yeah. Sarich, you know, Bradley trying to defend Sarich, that's just that's out of whack, and that's that's that is a, an exact. Like Bradley can be an awesome perimeter defender, but if if they're constantly being put into mismatches and switches that are causing that. And they're already small in the backcourt. It's detrimental. But you plug in Cousins and you put him and he's rangy and he's able to plug up the paint a little bit. And then you, maybe you have, um, maybe you, maybe you have, I don't know who gets traded, but Marcus Smart or Bradley just not getting forced into those awkward switches as much. I love Isaiah and 37 points basically willed the Celtics to victory against the 76ers, but he's going to be consistently a, a challenge for the defense. And that's why it doesn't make sense. The small lineups are ultimately flawed with Isaiah at point guard. I'm not saying Isaiah can't be the point guard on a championship caliber team. I'm just saying that when you're already small and you're giving him up as sort of an acceptable defensive liability, you can do that. But you can't be that small and cover up his deficiency. I think teams have just figured out how to exploit it since last year. Yeah, but I, I think it's 
I think it's deeper than that in that even if you switch, I mean, and everyone's switching everything now. It's, you know, that's, everybody's switch, 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 switch. That's all we do. And then that's why the small lineup works. But, but if you are switching a big on a small, you know, a relative, you know, somebody like a Sarge who, and I can't believe we're talking about Sarge because he hasn't had a great season, but he, he certainly played well against It's getting against minutes the now. And every time Embiid yeah. is out, we kind of are lucky because we would have lost that game if Embiid had been able to play his record right. 20, 20 or so minutes. But, but Sarge, he just hasn't had a consistent role yet. You put him in that, you know, game, a game of, uh, when Embiid is out and you put him in that, 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 uh, high minutes capacity, position he gets on a roll i mean he's still learning the league he just got here that's true that's true i i guess you know the bradley thing though is that and that's why i i support moving bradley more so than than crowder or smart because i think that for as good as he is defensively there is the size mismatch is always going to be there and unless he's guarding point guards He's going to he's going to have a mismatch there, um, and I think I think he's too small. I think we're we're just too small there. Smart, I have less concern with because he does have that ability to, you know, bully a guy. You know, he's six four. He's strong as an ox. I mean, the guy is hard to move. So I have less concern with him in that position. Even being undersized at six four, I think he can bully a guy a bit better. Bradley, I think, is just too small. And, you know, this is a time when if you're going to move Avery Bradley, this is it because his contract, he's, he's got two years right now. You know, after this year, he's going to have one and he's still got that low contract. Maybe there is a deal there that works. I don't know. I, I'm not saying I want to move Bradley. I like all these guys. You know, they're all my children. I'd love to have them all forever. But the truth you is, gotta you got to bring a rebounder back, though. It's yeah. Sort of, you know, because he he's leading the team in rebounding. So you would well, definitely right. have to bring a a rebounder in. But if you could bolster the front court, he's it's not sustainable. You're that's absolutely right. That's it's a like, short term fix, and it probably bowl. makes him susceptible to injury as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we t- we talked about that a lot when, in his early days. Is that you know he he couldn't stay healthy, couldn't stay on the court. I honestly think the shoulder issue that they've got taped up pretty good. I think that has that's a f- limited his effectiveness here over the last couple of weeks. You know, I think he had to go so hard with so many people out that he hasn't yet allowed his body to heal from that, and now he's kind of going on fumes a bit, but. They need to get him right because right now this team is is not playing well, and I I'm not saying he's the only reason. Smarts had some laxes in the in the in defense. Rozier will come in and, and lose out. I think there's there's a lot of issues with that. I think part of the issues though, and you talked about this a moment ago, is that they have gone away a bit from what I thought was a pretty effective idea of having at least some veterans mixed in with that that second unit. So uh, there's there's some stability there, and I think we saw with Rozier this week, as particularly against you know Detroit, um, you know I thought he played better when he had was sharing the court with somebody with with some ability to know what the hell's going on, you know, and that kind of gives him confidence to do what he does. I think without that, he he kind of loses his role, and and I think. That the, the, this this group needs to find a better way to mix and mesh with itself. Um, it still doesn't fix the, the 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 issues of roster construction and and the fact that there's no way that they can fill this need of rebounding with the people on the roster. But well, they and can't let's also that. say this: you talk about that, but Amir Johnson should come off the bench. I mean, there's he's out there because there's there's no other effective option. But if you could upgrade that position, and like you said, maybe you trade away Bradley, Smart slides down to the two, and then that's an advantage, or at least one that can diminish the disadvantage on defense with Isaiah Thomas. And and you get a player that at least can do what, what Johnson does defensively, but then helps replace the lack of offense, because you do take a hit offensively when Marcus Smart goes at the two instead of 
instead of Bradley. I mean, Bradley is definitely contributing more offensively. But the other thing I'll say to that is Smart is a good passer, so he could work a little bit more of the facilitator, and Isaiah would just naturally be more of the off guard. And Mm -hmm. I think you could get away with that. I don't think the defense would take as much of a dip. And as a matter of fact, we'd probably, like you said, get hurt less on switches and you play a little bit bigger lineup. You replace the offense because you've upgraded that at the five. And Amir Johnson being the guy off the bench, that veteran, this is how I want to tie it to what you were just saying, that veteran out there in the front court, Amir and Kelly Olenek, coming in with a Terry Rozier, that would make all the difference in the world because Amir is that, that, you know, veteran. And then you might get a little bit more continuity in the first and second unit. And I don't want to say wholesale substitutions, but you would be able to make more wholesale substitutions that would, would, um, maybe ignite some chemistry and some balance so that when that first unit begins to come off the floor, the other team isn't always getting back into the game after a hot start. That's true. That's exactly true. Yeah. And I think also that a group that doing that allows them to play at a higher pace. I mean, right now they're, they're only 19th in pace right now. They're, they're not playing with the same speed. They were top three last year too, weren't they? They were exactly. And so the problem that I look at is if you're a small team and you're not playing with speed, you're gonna get, you're gonna get beat on the boards. You're gonna get beat doing those things. And part of that might be that you're losing the rebounding edge, so you're not doing that. But if you're not creating turnovers, which is the point you had, and I think it's probably the biggest issue that's facing that small group. They're not turning the ball. They're not turning the the, the opponents over, and they're not forcing bad misses. So because the defense is so poor, you're not in a better position to rebound, and you know on and on and on we go. I think that pace issue is the pace, the, the lack of pace and speed that they're playing with is, is impacted by this. And I don't think that's because of Horford's addition. I don't think it's because, you know, you take out Sullinger and, 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 uh, Evan Turner and you plug in Horford and, and this is just the new team now, which is going to be a, a middle of the pack or, or, or bottom third team in terms of how quickly the team they play. I think this is this really speaks to the fact that the defense has been so poor. They've got to find a way to get turnovers, get fast breaks, um, you know, kind of put the, the the opponent on their heels a bit defensively. And right now, I don't think I don't think Bradley's doing it. I don't think Smart's doing it. I don't think Rozier's doing it. And when, when Rozier is doing it, I find this interesting. It stands out to you, and that's a problem because that should be the the standard here. We've got. A lot of guards who can play, but if they're not given the effort, we're going to have this issue. Yeah, this this will be an ongoing kind of question: is is it effort or is it the fact that teams are now gunning for the Celtics and have had made the adjustments? And so we're going to take a quick break. We'll continue that conversation, and John and I will also dive into John's basket college basketball loyalties with a very rare University of Maine, his alum, and Duke, his namesake, uh, matchup on Saturday. Uh, definitely was interesting to watch that. But before that, before all that, uh, we got to tell you a little bit about Blue Apron. They're a new sponsor of ours. They uh, have given John and I an opportunity to uh, sample some of their recipes. They're awesome. Just awesome. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Also, the thing I loved is I didn't have to come up with a grocery shopping list to go get Mm -hmm. new and different uh, variety of foods. Usually when we cook chicken, it's the same chicken. But they never use the same recipe twice in 12 months. Um, They know when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. And so they send you all of these um, different ingredients, different meals, and it's less than $10 per meal. So I'm thinking if you go out to eat three nights a week, why not just cook at home? If you're removing the grocery shopping aspect to cooking at home and you've got a great recipe in front of you, this is a great way to spend some time, you know, with, uh, with your loved ones, especially, you know, if you're married with your wife, it's a good time to just talk and you still get sort of a restaurant experience in terms of the quality of the food is just amazing. I cooked, um, seared chicken and pan seared barramundi which was delicious the other thing is the calories are listed so if you're a calorie counter you'll know exactly how much is in each portion and it's all portioned out perfectly um the food when you put it on the plate looks exactly like it does 
in the picture, which was probably the most surprising thing to me. And you can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. You can choose the delivery options. There's no weekly commitment. I know a lot of times people get worried about getting into a commitment and then they think, oh, I'm going to be gone or I don't have the time this week. And then all of a sudden, you know, they feel like they've wasted their money, but there's no weekly commitment here. You only get deliveries when you want them. And the great thing about Celtic Stuff Live is we're giving you three free meals and free shipping by going to blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to be able to create some incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. John, I know you love the meals. I do. I mean, they're outstanding, and as somebody who who does less of the shopping but a lot of the eating, um, <laughs> that's a, it's a good thing. I, I love Blue Apron. I, I've enjoyed having those meals delivered to the house. I mean, it's amazing. They pack the things. Everything's in ice. And, I mean, the packing and the shipping alone is a, is a modern marvel. But they come to you. All the stuff's fresh. It's things you never thought you'd eat. And as a picky eater, and I'm one, it I – it blew my mind. I eat, I've been eating things I never thought I would eat. Uh, <laughs> it's it's good stuff. Definitely, I, it's a hearty approve from this this corner. All right, and that's a picky eater, as John said himself. Blueapron.com forward slash CSL 2016. We're going to be right back. One more word from another sponsor, Audible.com. All right, we're back, and as we teased before, we talked a little bit about Blue Apron and heard a word from Audible.com. John is an alum. We actually both are alums of the University of Maine, but John has always been a huge fan of the Duke Blue Devils, and they matched up, which I didn't think would really ever happen. It's actually a kind of a surprising uh Surprising game for me, anyway. When I saw they were on the docket, I was kind of blown away. But University of Maine and the ACC playing against Duke. Wait, no, America East. America East. America East. <laughs> I was like, there wait a go. second. Yeah, so the Amer- America East, and you know, there was a, there were a lot of other things going on behind the scenes with this matchup. You know, due to the legislature in North Carolina and some other things. I don't want to get into that too much, but I do want to figure out from you john where were your loyalties for that game well as you know i'm i'm a huge huge as we as you just said huge blue devils fan you know i was a blue devils fan before i was a a main black bear uh although as you said we both grew up in maine uh you know i'm still here uh and you know i went to watch games you know with the alfond and and everything however Duke Duke is is where my bread is buttered. I mean, five national champions, watched them all, watched every NCAA tournament game, you know, since I was, you know, six, seven years old. I'm a big fan, big Duke fan. Uh, and, and there's been a lot of success to cheer for. But I will say, I was actually rooting for the May Black Bears yesterday. Yeah, and, and there the, you go. I was about but, to call you a front runner. <laughs> but a front runner for 30 years. No, but there's a reason why, and uh, you know you have to. Okay, how do you how do you break this down? And, and my thought is this: one team has five national championships, numerous Final Fours, you know, ACC championships, unquestionably the best college basketball team over the last thirty years, certainly since UCLA Bruins of John Wooden. Having said that. The other team has never made the NCAA tournament, and you know, one win, one win could change the fr- the futures of the Maine Black Bears. So I I knew it was unlikely going into it, but I thought, you know, damn it, I want to see the blue the Black Bears try to pull this off. But then I I heard that Jason Tatum, Marcus Bolden, two of two top ten likely NBA draft picks who have not yet played this year would play. And I said, well, there goes that. Uh, Blue Devils have had some injuries this year. They've, they've, um, Harry Giles joining those, those two as really not having played this season at all. So we're, you know, a good six weeks into the college basketball season. Like the second highest ranked recruiting class, freshman class for this season too. But you're right. A lot of injuries to deal with. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, although I would say number one, uh, yes, you're, that's absolutely the case. Uh, they they had they had uh, you know again they had three likely top ten picks who were sitting out. Um, that's unbelievable. And it was foot, it was knee, it was this and that. Uh, Harry Giles is close to coming back. He's not there, but he's close. Uh, and so when we get to that point with with him him back and Bolden's back. We're going to see what these Blue Devils can do. But they've had other injury issues. So there was maybe a chance of a bit of a wounded bear. Duke was playing Michigan State, a very tough team, and usually a very tough game. Duke dispatched them you know, just fine earlier this week. So I was I was hoping maybe, you know, I had some friends down there who went to the game with their Black Bear stuff. But 94-55 later. <laughs> it, ended just yeah, it, looked, it looked okay at the start. It looked like they were going to make a a little bit of a a little bit of a run. You know, the big thing with Maine, and it's this way. You know, with all the smaller schools, is they just can't keep players once they perform well. They wind up transferring, and that kind of keeps those those colleges down a little bit. It's hard to stay atop. You know, as if you can't keep players who aren't going to make the NBA most likely, but if you can't keep them till they're seniors, it's a real, it's really tough on, on any program. But they, they lost two players last year and still kind of hung in there for, you know, I'd say the first 15 minutes anyway. Obviously the second half was a different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, they, and I think, the small schools, you're right. Ever since we've seen transfers really take a rise the last four or five years, it's been it's been a real struggle for for small schools to build a program, and it's unfortunate because you really that's how you you find talents. You know, if if you always have to go to look to the the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the you know the the really top tier uh, franchise, you know, franchise as I would call really as uh, as college basketball as Michigan State. You know, it's it, this something. It's not quite as much fun. You know, there's less Cinderella opportunities and things like that. I'd like to see, you know, certainly my my main black bears finally get it together. But it's just it's been again. Maine is the only state in the country. I've said this before on the show. Maine is the only state in the country that has never had a college in its borders get to the NCAA tournament in men's basketball with a good women's team for for a long period of time, but they've never, the only state in the country, Hawaii, Alaska, Idaho, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, they've all done it. Has Maine? No. No. You know, <laughs> as we talk a little bit about college basketball, another game I got to watch before that Maine-Duke game was uh, UCLA and Kentucky. And watching Lonzo Ball is really something to behold. The passing, it's almost like Rondo with a good attitude. And I don't mean to totally, you know, throw that at Rondo like that bad, but it really is amazing. Lonzo is, he makes everybody else's uh, job look effortless as well. He is a really a great leader of an offense and they, they piled up the points and they upset Kentucky. Which is just a fabulous game. I just, it, it's interesting because I did not expect to watch as much, um, college basketball. I don't watch a lot of college basketball, but I've been trying to watch it because I know we've got this, you know, this Nets pick. And as you said earlier in the first half of the show, that that right now is one of the worst three, you know, one of the top three picks because it belongs to one of the worst three teams in the league. But, you know, what's funny. You looked at draft, you look at draft express. Most of the most of the positions are point guard that are in the top ten mm. or small yeah. forward, which is just why can't we why can't we have this draft class filled with power forwards and centers? It's just it's hilarious to me, but it, it's almost all point guards, and and it really isn't a position of strength. I mean the the point guards that really stand out are like Ivan Rob and uh, or he's a power forward. Ivan Rob and and Laurie and I'm I'm going to botch this, but uh, I think it's Markanen in Arizona. It's really not a lot of depth that our position in need. Well, I, I I would say it's very early. Again, three three of those Duke guys who were top ten before the season have been hurt, haven't played in a minute. So I'm not saying that that Jonathan Gavoni is 
you know, he's usually has a longer, longer vision than that. So I'm not sure that he's, you know, taking what he's seen last and letting that impact his top 10 or top, you know, his mock, his first round mock. But it's hard to put those guys high at this point if they haven't played. But again, they got Marcus Bolden at 17. You got, Harry Giles, who might be the best player in the whole whole thing, although Markel Fultz has been really lighting it up this year. Um, you know, Harry Giles coming into the the college season uh, was somebody who was viewed as really potentially the number one and really the game a game changing talent. So you think Giles he gets would be healthy, the pick? Is that your thing? He that's would who, be. That's who you'd like to see. If you could put Chris Webber. Uh, on a, on a longer, more maybe I would say more athletic, but a longer a longer frame. Hopefully his you know his injury bug is you know stops biting him. But if so, he would be the perfect fit here. I mean I think Harry Giles is the perfect fit for what the Celtics need and and would really add. I mean his shooting isn't quite there, but as a as a long lean shot blocker, rebounder, uh, passer. I mean that that guy would be a perfect fit for what for what the Celtics could use there at the power forward position or or center position. You know, depending on he almost was, could play uh, center with Al Horford doing power forward, and that would kind of put his role a little bit more at ease in a way. You know, this is all assuming they keep the pick, but let's say they do. I want to ask you one other thing before we kind of you know talk talk about uh, our predictions for next week and wrap up the show, but. There's some small forwards too. Josh Jackson is a player I really like. You also have your boy Jason Tatum who finally got a chance to play. There's Jonathan Isaac, um, and a few other small forwards there in, in that lottery selection area. But given that we just drafted Jalen Brown and Jay Crowder sure seems like he's going to be sticking around for a while, would you, would, would you want to draft a small forward? I mean, we've already got a, a glut of guards, but would you, Want to sh- let's say Giles isn't available to the Celtics. Let's say they, you know, the lottery doesn't go their way. They fall to five somehow, and Giles gets picked at three. And now you're stuck amongst these the point guard small forward. Do you, would you pick another small forward to kind of compete with with Brown for future minutes? I mean, how can you develop both of those pl- two players at the same position behind a Jay Crowder? Well, it's 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 like taking Rozier year after you took Smart. You know, it's is you you're supposed to always pick for ability not need right that's the that's what supposedly you're supposed to do but the Celtics are in a position now where it's, they've had so many of these draft picks that it's it's hard not to find duplication you know in one in one form or another um as you said there's not a lot of power forwards or or bigs right now that are in the top end of of some of these mocks i think those i think that'll change but you're right if you do find yourself in a position Let's say, you know, you end up uh, second or third and you've got, you know, let's say Fultz is off the board, Dennis Smith of NC State, Lonzo Ball who can't shoot. Uh, you know, you've got, there's a, 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 let's say there's a cliff, you know, in terms of talent. You see Ball and, and Smith is really up here, you know, kind of that higher end of it and there's a big drop below that. Do you take a lower, a lesser player? Uh, because of need, and I don't think I don't think you I think you do take the, the point guard. You take the most talented player, but then it becomes even more important that this long-awaited consolidation happens. And you know, frankly, the Celtics have to make a trade. I mean, I, I they've got to make a trade between now and the, and the deadline. I think. I, I think if they go into next year or this summer. This speaks to larger roster construction issues, I guess, is what I'm saying. That that question that you're asking is it's a hugely important one. But but the whole roster of what they're doing, what direction they're going in, there's some answers that have to be made. And I'm not comfortable with just waiting until free agency and just sign somebody. Um, I'm sorry I'm answering that with a far more complicated answer, but I think... No, it's a good what, point, though. It's almost impossible to say what could you, should you do, because it's so obvious that a deal needs to be made. And I will say, Twitter follower that keeps changing his name, he was RJ Hunter fan 28 for a while, <laughs> now he's, now he's let's get some hits. He came at me on Twitter and, you know, criti- criticizing my uh, preference for drafting Brown and uh, saying he's getting impatient and... I I really told him I think still 18 months 
we really have to give this thing. I'm I'm hoping a totally. deal gets done, but I think there's more than one deal, you know, down down the line. I don't think there's even one. I think there's going to be two. You know, maybe depending on how the deal, if there was a deal done by the deadline this season, there. Depending on how it's constructed, there might still be cap room for a max free agent this summer, although, you know, that's got to line up just perfectly and, and you'd still have to be able to move. Uh, you, you couldn't package a player like Kelly Olinick, who you're expecting to come off the books to sign the free agent, um, and then get salary in return that would box that out, right? So right. Th- there's definitely a lot of a, a numbers gamble there, but maybe you make that move and keep the picks and, and maybe it's not a free agent move maybe it's another trade next season kind of have to see how it all comes together but i will say i think it's 18 months i think even if a deal's done this year they're not done i think there's just too many picks too many players and too much to sort out that i think it does still trail into next year i'm gonna say this though also as far as the criticism i received about you know my preference for selecting jalen brown i know he had a nice game against philly but he's had ups and downs we expected that i'm not really gonna critique his rookie season until we see where he's at around the trading deadline you know the all-star break i think what he does after that will be the most telling about what we should expect moving forward the only other player i really liked in the draft at that slot was jamal murray who's now out in Denver, but he's definitely playing well. The only thing is, I think a lot of people were saying, Jalen Brown can't shoot. We need somebody to to address the three-point percentage shooting issues that this team has, and the team really sort of addressed that without it. Jamal Murray definitely would have been the three-point shooter, though. He's been lighting it up. It's just interesting that that was an issue last year, and now it's not. Well, it's, you know, and that's, I think that's a good sign of why you don't draft for need, you draft for ability, you know, because had we looked at it and said, well, we need somebody who can shoot and we're going to draft somebody who can shoot. So many of these rookies don't offer anything their their rookie year. So to try to, you know, build your roster around who you're taking and thinking that's going to impact where your, your team overall is, is really just not a, a fair <laughs> it's not fair to, to put on the rookie or, or fair to your overall team to expect that they're going to be able to respond in that way. I think that, you know, Jalen Brown, as you said, I, I was not a big fan of the pick more, more likely because of the fact of the potential trade possibilities and what that meant for, for a guy like Chris Dunn, but Chris Dunn hasn't done squat and everyone thought he was going to be the most ready to come in and perform. Same with Buddy Heald. Yeah, Buddy Heald hasn't won't even put well. him on the floor. I mean, he's just right. not getting minutes and you're right, right also about Buddy Heald. And that was the big question for your player. Awesome in college, but some of that's just because four years of experience, can he still dominate at the pro level when the people that are defending him are just as smart if not more experienced and also just as athletic. That's right. Yeah. And, and so you take the long, the long game. This was something that, uh, our buddy Danger Cart, Ryan Bernardoni said with us, you know, when we had him on, um, before the draft, you know, you take, you take the younger guy, you take the younger guy because you look at historically over what players have done. You take if, if if all all things are equal, take the younger guy early on and take the older guy later on, because we seem to devalue younger players uh, in the early parts of the draft, but they seem to to rise to the surface. In the older parts, in the later parts of the draft, guys like Draymond Green get undervalued because they didn't star enough early on in their career, but they're still productive players. So that's, you know, I think that's a good lesson. And I, and I think that the Celtics really held true to that. And, and, and getting Brown, they got a guy who is younger and, and has potential to, to grow. We've all seen great things from him, you know, not, you know, not standing aside what happened in Philly. Are there things for him to learn? Absolutely. I would love to, for him to, to stop driving into five guys. You know, well, basically at the top of the key and then, and then getting himself in a position where he just turns the ball over. Uh, that's something that was a, a criticism of his before the start yeah, the of the season. Yeah, the over-aggressiveness, but really it's an intelligence thing. And that's when I turned because I was definitely waffling between Murray and Brown, both younger players to, uh, to Ryan Bernardoni's point and one that I agreed with. Brown, the more athletic, 
Murray the better shooter, but that was kind of the knock on Jamal was that athletically they weren't sure that he would be able to create enough space yeah. in the NBA to get right. a shot off, and he certainly has overcome that criticism because yep. he's knocking it down. Now, interestingly, his field goal, the difference between field goal percentage and three-point percentage this season for him is is very close. Uh, he's shooting the three ball as well as any other, so mm. I think the game is also constructed in a way that fits his talents, being a bar- being a marksman like he is, but he can also distribute and sort of initiate some offense as well, and he's shown that early to be a fairly intelligent player. So I think the, if anybody was criticizing the Brown pick and saying, "Oh yeah, I think we should go with Jamal Murray," um, I you know I would have I would have taken that, but nobody said Jamal Murray when they battled me on that. Not a lot of people were eyeing him, and I think it was that knock on athleticism. But he really looks like you know he could be uh, he could be a strong player in this league moving forward. And he's he's got that deceptive speed, like that Paul Pierce ability, you know, to to kind of move around on the court, even though he's not going to blow by you. Um, he knows how to just do the little things to to create space and get his shot off. And Paul was already always really good at that. And I think there's a maybe a small comparison that can be made between the two yeah no I, I think that's a good good comparison and that's you know that straight line speed is is nice but it doesn't always translate and on the other hand there's probably a lot of guys who don't look fast and actually end up not being fast so I don't think that it's wrong to necessarily suspect that somebody can't perform because of that but I would also say I think we uh, a guy like Brown, we need to give him time. Uh, I, and we've seen enough to say that this is a guy who can play in the NBA. He's done more in a month than G- than James Young has done in, in two and a half, two years and one month. So look, let's, <laughs> you know, if, if people criticizing him, am I frustrated with him? Yes. Would I like to see him do it a little bit better? Yes. His, the things that the potential of what he could provide this team right now, um, you know, they, they uh, be, he just needs to get the experience. He needs to have some well, knowledge he, about w- yes. what the right play is, and he also needs to develop some moves. He's a little too straight line. He needs to he needs to come up with some fakes. He needs to do some redirections. Some yeah. once he gets that down and he knows what works against these much better defenders in the NBA, then I think that game will start to come together. And it might not, but everything about his intelligence and work ethic says he's got a good shot of putting that in. Right. Absolutely. I, and I think it's, it's going, it's the team defense. He can individually, he can beat anybody. It's a, to me, it's, it's the intelligence and the awareness of, okay, now there's three guys. What's the right decision here? That's where I think his failing is. He'll get there. I, I do think he'll get there. I think he's a smart guy. I think he'll, he has that awareness in him. Um, it's, the problem with that is it's kind of an innate skill. Can you learn it? I mean, maybe Bradley learned it. It took a long time. So let's see if, if you know, Jalen can, can speed that process up. I just don't think that uh, he's it's, – it's fair to really judge him harshly at this point. Yeah, and you can't in. compare him against people like Embiid and Sarich because they're not they're, really true they're older. Out, out of – Right, exactly. You know, and that Embiid's whole rookie the of the year – Three years. Exactly. This I'm not even – There's so a big part playing. of me that says he shouldn't even be considered for rookie of the year, but it does yeah. make the rookie of the year watch a little bit more fun. And he is amazing to watch, but there is a part of me that's like, he's not really a rookie. All right, John, we've got to wrap the show, but let's look at the week to come. We've got four games – on the slate once again tonight, tip off against the Rockets, then on Wednesday against the Magic. They're going to face Toronto. That's the first one of the year. That'll be on Friday, and then a Sunday night game against Oklahoma City. This is probably the toughest week they've had on the schedule in quite some time. They're only playing one game at home. That's the one against Toronto. Um, I think they can squeak one and I think they actually will against the Rockets. I think they'll get one. I'll get, I think they'll get the game against the Magic, but then I think they get back to back losses against Toronto and Oklahoma City. I'm predicting a two and two week. What's your take? So <laughs> I had been pretty bullish, right? I had been very bullish. Undefeated, I had picked, undefeated, undefeated. Yeah, four and zero oh week went three and one. Right, so here's zero oh and four. <laughs> one and three. 
I'm going one and three. You totally changed the, the tide. Here's the problem, right? You've got the Celtics have not shown an ability to stop anybody on the perimeter. I mean, they've they have given up more big games to guards. Yeah, you're I know saying Harden you. is just going to Harden kill them. is going to torch them. Kyle Lowry, going, Demar Derozan, Russell Westbrook. Right. right. You got three guards, or well, three teams with with high scoring guards who could absolutely punish them. And I don't, unless this team decides to, they want to start defending in the backcourt and, and, and on the perimeter, then they're going to have these struggles. So, not, and I will say this, none of those teams are great rebounding teams. I don't think Toronto strikes any fear in anyone. Uh, and, and I think the Thunder, I think maybe this will answer that question. Is it the rebounding or is it the backcourt's inability to get stops? I think by the time we do our next show, we may have the answer to that question. But... I'm feeling. I really am. I'm feeling one and one and three, and man, it's it's very disappointing. It's very disappointing because this is this is they got to fix this. They got to fix one it. One and three would be tough. That would put them at thirteen and eleven, and definitely not on that forty-nine game pace. That'd be falling off pretty precipitously. Um, a two and two is a best case scenario. They stay at fourteen and ten, four games above five hundred. I think they drop at least one in the standings to the Raptors by doing that. They'd be at least three games, maybe four games with a two and two week. So we'll have to wait and see. Um I don't know. This team has a way of not being predictable, which is why I think they squeak one and the and the one I have targeted is the Rockets. I just think the Raptors have had their number and I think Russell Westbrook is just gonna decimate them. Uh, he just does too many different things too well and I know how good James Harden is and I know now that he's made that move to point guard he's exceptional but I just think the Celtics may get their defense right against that in that game I think it might fall off again but I think they might get that one right so we'll have to see next week but that's going to do it for this week this broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com don't forget to follow us on twitter at csl underscore justin and at csl underscore duke thank you everybody for tuning in you can help support the show by subscribing to celtic stuff live on itunes and stitcher don't forget to give us a rating and a review your feedback is extremely important to us and a reminder that today's show has been brought to you by audible.com and blue apron they've got a great deal for all of you listeners but most importantly you'd be supporting our show and the entire clns radio network i want to say thanks once again to the loyal audience who makes it all worthwhile and for staff writer samuel elias ex executive producer larry h russell the founder of clns radio nick gelso and my co-host john duke i'm justin poolin thank you for listening to this week's edition of celtic stuff live celtic stuff live